0: This is Four People with Bishop Rob Wright.
1: Welcome to Episode 8 of Four People with Bishop Wright. I'm your host, Matthew Bowers. Just a reminder before we get into it, this podcast is a conversation with the Four Faith Weekly Devotional that is sent out every Friday. And you can subscribe to us on major podcast platforms by searching Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. You can read this week's Four Faith in the episode description if you haven't read it yet. Bishop, getting started, there's a lot to talk about and dig into as we look over that first Peter reading, especially with our ability to respond and be prepared. So my first question to you is, is what do you mean by readiness and response? And that's both a question for this time of COVID-19, but also what does that look like when life returns to whatever it may be after this? Um, what does it mean to live a life of faith and live a life of readiness and response? Uh, Well, first of all, we're talking about, um, you know,
0: 1 Peter, the third chapter. And and, and Peter, you know, is a particularly interesting character because he's a guy who missed the mark, you know, on the big game day, right? I mean, he he got to the intersection and denied Christ three times, and Jesus knew he would and and ends up being, of course— uh, the exact guy that Jesus decides to build the church on. So so here's a guy with an incredible experience of of what it means to be faithful and also what it means to miss the mark and also uh, the immense amount of grace to get a second try to really sort of be a leader in this new thing that Jesus wanted to do. So uh, just right off the bat, he's an interesting character. And so he's, you know, 1 uh, Peter is just about encouraging some people who were in the midst of hardship. And so uh, it's immediate connection to, to where we are right now in this country, in this world, uh, and the hardship uh, that COVID-19 has brought on us. And so when I uh, took a look at that reading, which is just a reading for this Sunday coming, um, it just sort of jumped off the page to me, this idea of readiness and response. And, and so um, I, I like to think that, uh, you know, being immersed in scripture, being immersed in fellowship, uh, having an eye uh, towards what we call the apostles teaching, you know, our tradition and what has been taught um, should be uh, making us ready and it should be making us respond. And so I always like to say that belief in Jesus is not uh, about having a sort of a cosmic lucky rabbit's foot. Uh, it's It's for real world action and
1: real-world difference-making. And Peter lays out a wonderful list. I want to talk a little bit about Peter, because what is it about him or even all of the disciples that made Jesus choose them? Because we're talking about people who weren't in the inner circle of society, both in a religious setting and just a a regular cultural setting. Yeah, Jesus looks at Peter and, and says, you are the rock which I will build on. So Why does Jesus go to the common person who, for many, may not be the best candidate to lead the movement that he's preaching?
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is the genius of God, right? I mean, so this is the genius of God by by this cast of characters that Jesus surrounds himself with. And it sends us a strong signal 2,000 years later. That this is not about being spiritual elite athletes. This is not about being perfect people. This is not about being religious smarty pants, right? This is about real broken people who have struggled and stumbled, and uh, and and God's message about who's included and who can be His, uh, who can be God's symbol bearers and who can be God's uh, uh, hands, feet, and voice in the world. And so, it's a profound message that you know uh, discipleship can be. Uh, for anyone, any place, anytime, anywhere. And so Peter is just a a fantastic, uh, you know, sort of wonderful choice. If the message from God is, is that it's not about how many times you've fallen short. If the message is, you know, love and grace, if the message is, you know, sort of follow me uh, and uh, in all of your blemishes and with all your blessings, then Peter is perfect. And so you know, in the real world, what he sets out in this chapter is uh, a series of, of of procedures and protocols. What it what it actually means uh, to be ready and to respond uh, when it comes to following Jesus and into any s- season. And so, you know, first on his 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 list for us, the checklist is to to be eager to do what is right. Even though it may cause you trouble, I mean I, I think that comes out of his own journey with Jesus, but I think it's it's the right advice for us now to to prioritize uh, what is right, and by right, we mean right in God's eyes, as the scripture tells us, love, forgiveness, generosity, service, um no condemnation, compassion, right. Do that in the real world, in the boardroom, the schoolroom, the classroom, um, uh, in your business, even though it may cause you trouble, he says, because when you do that, you'll have favor with God, a blessing with God. So, so that, that is a, a, a great and practical piece of advice. Um, that you and I can always check in. What worries me about the Christian faith sometimes is people sort of get inspired with a rousing sermon on Sunday, and then they sort of wonder what to do on Monday. And so I think Peter offers us this
1: very practical advice. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a moment. If you're enjoying Four People with
0: Bishop Rob Wright, we encourage you to subscribe. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at
1: Bishop Rob Wright. We're back with four people with Bishop Rob Wright. Bishop, there's a part about being eager that you included. And I think we've all seen kind of the eager Christian on the news or social media, championing things that perhaps we don't believe in. Um, And so I hear that be eager in your faith part. And yeah, I want to be eager about Jesus, but I don't want to be that street preacher hurling Bible verses as people walk by and, telling them they're going to hell. So how do we manage that aspect of being eager for Christ, but not extremely overbearing to somebody? This is a beautiful question. So, so uh, notice that he just doesn't
0: say, be eager, full stop. It says, <clears throat> excuse me, it says, be eager to do what is right. So I think that uh, a lot of times what we see is people eager to convince other people that they're right. Which is which is not what scripture says at all I I, I think that it, it, as we'll go along in the text we see some other wonderful words that help us so yes be eager be eager in generosity uh be eager in sharing hope be eager in doing what is right be eager in what is you know being kind etc but I, I I think what what ends up happening is that ego takes over uh and that we end up being eager in convincing everybody that we're right, or the way we believe is right, or our gender is right, or our race is right, uh, or our way is, is you know, completely right. And so, and so that makes people nervous, and it should, right? And so I, I think that, um, you know, I, I, what's the old adage, you know, uh, preach the gospel, and if you have to use words. I think this is what Peter's thinking. I mean, how do we embody eagerness for all the right things? It doesn't make us, by definition, overbearing. I mean, I, I, my life has been changed and positively impacted by people who were absolutely eager and committed, single-minded about what it means to be generous, about what it means to be encouraging. And so I did not feel that they were uh, overbearing. I felt like they were being themselves. And that authenticity, I mean, when you really burn it all down, that authenticity always translates. It did then, and it translates now. And so if we are, in fact, eager to do what is right uh, in the world just just being that wherever we find ourselves is difference making. So that's very different in my mind from being eager to convince you that uh I'm right or my way is right or that it, that it that it should run roughshod over what you think or what you think or your insights are somehow uh inferior to mine. No, very different idea. What
1: I wrestle with with that like there are a lot of things that are clear when I read about Jesus. And there's plenty of things that aren't as well. Like what am I to believe as a follower of Christ about rising water levels or internet safety or how to properly tax people? Things like murder and theft and respecting the dignity of every human being I feel are covered. There are places I can go to for that, but where do we go to in the gospels to find wisdom on, on like modern day issues? Is it a matter of finding like a North Star that we kind of guide ourselves with or is it this individual type belief system that we discern on our own?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I, I'm I'm always uh, nervous about two kinds of Christianity, uh, and and one is the Christianity uh, or the faith that really has uh, no real um, relationship with Scripture, right? And so uh, uh, people just sort of think, uh, you know, God believes exactly what they already believe, and 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 the matter is settled. They make me nervous because they don't have an informed understanding. Of, of who Jesus was and what tradition Jesus stood in. Um, and then I, uh, you know, likewise, I'm anxious about and nervous about uh, what I call a couple of verse Christians. And so these are people who have three or four Bible verses in their back pocket, and that's all they got. And they sort of stretch those Bible verses over, you know, whatever the issue uh, uh, of the day is. And, uh, and I understand that, but I, I don't think that that really meets the mark I think I think when it when when Peter goes on to um set up his protocol uh, for us to make us ready and responsive you know his second point is sanctify Christ as lord. And so I think what we have to do is we have to really have not just an acquaintance with who Jesus is in Matthew Mark Luke and John but we have to have a real friendship. Uh we have to have uh you know uh, some time that we've actually devoted to the stories and so again be eager to do what is right. If if what is right is to really get to know Jesus as Lord and sanctify simply means to separate him, which is to make him your North Star, then we have some depth of relationship with him. And so we're not so quick to issues, but we're quick to sort of get a sense from who Jesus has been, as we have, have it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and to get a deep and abiding sense of that, a mature sense of that, before we sort of go spilling out into the streets you know, with, with the issues. <clears throat> excuse me, uh, I, uh, I grew up in a time uh, in, the, in the country when karate movies were, were all the rage. And I remember as little kids, we'd come out of those karate movies and we'd be out in the middle of the street, you know, uh, doing these karate movies uh, that we didn't have any study, that we didn't have any practice, didn't have any training. And what we learned pretty quickly is a little bit of karate will get you behind kicked. And so I, I, see, I, see, I see Christians like this sometimes. And we don't increase the celebrity of Jesus when we do this. What we do is manifest our ignorance and ego. And so this is not what this gospel is saying, right? This is not its not what the gospel is saying. It's not what computer, Peter's commending. What we're talking about is depth here. I hear people on a quest for spirituality, and this is what we're talking here. We're talking about an abiding relationship, not sort of sprinkling some a spiritual talk about over what we already think, our partisan politics, our sort of... Uh, uh small ideas of economic theory no jesus is talking about something much much deeper it's about what do you actually believe about the human family do you understand that we are all siblings and are you making your life conform to that reality right so he says sanctify christ as lord which is to set jesus apart you know and above and let his teaching and examples at critical intersections in our life, <clears throat> excuse me, have the last word. You know, I worry about Christians also uh, who uh, who get into arguments with Jesus as, you know, as scripture, this, his words in scripture, and, and that those Christians always win the argument. Uh, I think we've got to ask ourselves, do we and our way and our wants always win the argument with Jesus? And if so, you know, I dare to say that perhaps we're not talking to Jesus at all. Um, perhaps we're trying to bend Jesus to believe what we believe. That This is different from what this, uh, this lesson in Peter is teaching us, to make Jesus the centerpiece, not in a sentimental way, but how are his teachings and how has his example changed our teachings, our example in our real life? You know, uh, Peter goes on to say, when you do this, you know, you have some sense of your hope, right? And to have that hope on the tip of your tongue. So that's the public piece of it, right? So it is not about browbeating other people, arm twisting other people, but it's about having joy about the hope you've found in your relationship with God in the face of Jesus, right? That's, you know, I have a lot of enthusiasm about my hobbies. I have a lot of enthusiasm. I've met people who are, I met a woman the other day who was so enthusiastic about her Uh, her gardening, she was a master gardener, lived in my neighborhood. She actually was uh, just charmed us uh, with her her enthusiasm. It wasn't overbearing. It was a marvel to behold. This is what I think Peter is saying. She wasn't trying to sort of run roughshod over over myself or my wife. She just shared this thing that had been so difference-making for her. And she did it with such a grace and a charm and a gentleness. I thought to myself, ah, there's the there is the genuine article. This is what Peter is talking about. Do you love God? And if you love God, you know, then you understand that God is love and God is gentleness. And so to share God's love in any other spirit other than gentleness is 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 outside of, of uh, what we discovered uh, uh, about God. And we've got to then sort of interrogate how much ego is in this for me. And so that's the ongoing learning, because for all of us, that's the conversation. You know, how much of this is God? How much of this is me? And this is why, you know, uh, John's John's uh, you know observation as Jesus comes along, uh, John the Baptist says, which is, "I must decrease, and Jesus must increase." Th- these are the most. That's the most faithful paradigm, I think, that there is. I must decrease. He must increase. When we do that, we find we are ready and able to respond to lots of different circumstances.
1: This goes into that last part that says, "Do all the good you can, and let the chips fall where they fall." For me, that just makes me wonder, like, what is the nature of God? Then, so not to like speak for a lot of people, but I sense there is a struggle between believing in a God who has played some divine like mousetrap board game and lets things happen, or is God a God who is meticulous in all that God does? So God knows the exact moment I'm going to roll out of bed and pull out the Jimmy Dean sausage biscuit from the freezer. So where does that statement fall in the kind of relationship we have with God? And what does that mean for us as being uh, parts of of God's creation that he is in community with? The exciting part for me, at
0: least about reading the Bible uh, in total, you know, uh, Genesis to Revelation, and to pay attention to what men and women uh, over the millennia have said about God, uh, is, is to begin to develop uh, what I like to call a character sketch of who this God is. Right? And 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 when you do that, uh, you know, and you sort of check in with all those storytellers of, of old and, and your own experience and the experience of people where your contemporaries you get to get you get to answer some of these questions that you're asking who is this God? how does this God operate? what seems to sort of move this God? what are this God's priorities? what are this what is this sort of God's default and behavior? And so it seems when Peter says do all the good you can and let the chips fall wherever they fall uh, that plugs in at least for me is that this God is about partnership. Right, this God is not an arm twister. This God is not a brow beater. This God invites, because I, I think that what this, what, what, what the God of the Bible wants, is our true uh, partnership of our own volition. Right, I, it concerns me sometimes that people say, "All I want to be is a good person." Right, you know, Jesus even said, "Hey, don't call me good. You know, no, nobody's good." Right, I, I, that's very striking. But but I want to do good, not so I can get some sort of cosmic pat on the head where I can get some sort of booming voice from the heavens saying, you're a good boy or you're a good girl. No. What, what I, what I want to do is because I'm utterly smitten with God, the way God moves, the way God uses power, the way God includes, the way God uses people who are failed, even like Peter, to get God's work done you know, when you get absolutely smitten with God, you want to join that God in God's enterprise. And God's enterprise is good-making. God's enterprise is friend-making. God is on a never-ending never, you know, sort of never friend-making campaign, right? And so, so what we end up wanting to do, I think, I think this is what we're talking about here is spiritual maturity, or I like to call grown-up religion. What you end up doing is sort of not having God as sort of some cosmic daddy or mommy Who's saying good boy, good girl? you you're. What you are saying is, is that wow, this God is somebody who I can give myself to and go on this journey, uh, because that is the real meaning of life. And and when you do that, when you just say stay committed to the good that you can do, all the good that you can do, given all of our finiteness, you know, it's an amazing journey. All of the saints would say amen to this. Uh, all of the saints would say. I just took him at his word, and I began to walk in that direction, and amazing things happened. And then the last piece, do all the good you can and let the chips fall where they fall, is really a reference not only to Peter, but, but uh, uh, an, old, an old book I read a long time ago, Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline. And, and it was such a striking sentence in there. He said one time about, you've got to trust God with your reputation. So if you're obsessed with what people think about you, you'll never do all the good you can do because you'll be, you'll be limited by the herd. You'll be limited by the crowd and what they decide is good. When I think about all the people who have made a difference, um, it's funny, we think about Dr. King and some other people. We celebrate them now, you know, so many years after their um, assassination. But, but the, the day that Dr. King won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1964, he was a scandal in his own hometown right here in Atlanta because he was organizing a, a, a store boycott for, for a company who would not hire uh, blacks uh, to work as clerks. Uh, they would take people's money, but they wouldn't uh, employ them. And so uh, what if he would have been limited in his good doing because he was obsessed about what other people would say about him? Right. And so I think what Richard Foster is saying and what I'm saying is, is that I think you've got to commit to partnership with God for no other reason than you want to. You have to. You're compelled to do to do it. And then you've got to just decide that um, and this doesn't make you indifferent indifferent to feedback, but you've just got to decide that I'm going to do all the good I can do. I'm going to stand with and in a community, do all the good I can do and let uh, and let my reputation uh, you know, uh, I'll leave it to God. I, I think this is what Peter is saying, because that is how we end up pushing the edge of things and getting things
1: done and making this earth look like the heaven uh, that God has in mind. So Bishop, as we wrap up, I want to know what's on your heart this week. Uh, what's on your mind? What is, what's something that you're lingering on?
0: Well, I guess I have to say this week, I'm really lingering on the words of uh, 1 Peter 3. Do all the good you can and let the chips fall wherever they fall. Uh, I'm sitting with that uh, and, uh, and, and, and just uh, uh, meditating on that. Uh, let me also uh, invite people to join, uh, join me for a five-part uh, teaching series, five short videos uh, on the subjects of reality grief, hope, faith, and courage. Be on the lookout for those. Uh, Real brief video shorts, but I think some important teaching about what it means uh, to have faith as we face a pandemic. So there you go. So as I always like to say, take care of yourself out there. Take care of one another.
1: Wash your hands. Go for a walk. Be encouraged. God bless you. That's all the time we have for this episode, but we'll be back with you next week. If you enjoyed this episode, connect with us by following Bishop Rod on social media. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you can keep up when we post new episodes, and we'll be back with you next week.